0: We are going to continue this morning in our study of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we haven't done this study in many years. We primarily do studies through books and just teach through different books of the Bible, but we had a sense that God wanted us to revisit this theme for many of us. This is a, a well-worn theme in some cases, and uh, I think what God is doing is He's awakening and having us look at these things anew, understand them maybe from another perspective with a different kind of a theological basis than what we've ever had as a church because of what God has taken us through in the many years we've been together. So we are continuing today, and I'm going to t- today teach on probably what I would think Is one of the most misunderstood, um, abused, and uh, probably wrongly applied theologically gifts of all, and that is the gift of prophecy. How many of you just got chills up your back when I said that word, prophecy? Uh, Some of you may have come from churches that believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ended, have ceased. And that it ended, they ended at the end of the apostolic age when the last apostle died and when the canonization of Scripture was in fact complete. Um, There is no longer a need now for these, these gifts, if you would. These charismata is the Greek word of the Spirit. Obviously, we do not believe that that is the case, although we would hold to a very strongly theological basis that many of the cessationists hold to themselves. We would agree with them on every single line of doctrine and redemptive uh, understanding biblical theology in that sense, but we would differ when it comes to how we would understand this subject itself. The gift of prophecy, and I'll be honest with you, as Matt was a couple of weeks ago in his own experience of some of the things he was teaching I have a love-hate relationship with this gift. And I say that hopefully not in any way that is uh, sacrilegious. Um, In fact, I will quote to you as I begin what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19 before we read another text. He says, Do not quench the Holy Spirit and do not despise prophecy. And I always wonder why he had to write that. And I think it must be because it's so easy to despise. I think because it's been so probably abused, maybe some of us have had bad experiences. We've seen all of the extreme c- craziness that come from people who call themselves prophets and who were not prophets. And we've had many, many, many years, I personally have had many years of exposure to these things and I've seen it all pretty much, honestly, and probably have been part of it all uh, and probably have contributed it to it being in some cases, the craziness that it was. But God took me on a trek, took us on a trek as a church, and we we turned in another direction in our understanding of these things. But now we've come back to look at them again. So I want to read this text. I want to look at a couple of texts this morning. And then I'm going to try to tackle this gift in the, in the time allotted to me. So if you'd look with me at First Corinthians chapter 12. Picking up in verse 4, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And to each is given, to each, to each, to each, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, To another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. We've already looked at these. To another, gifts of healing. Healings, actually, literally, by the one Spirit, which we looked at last week. To another, the working of miracles. And to another, prophecy. Also look with me, if you would, at the end of chapter 12. In verse 31, after Paul has gone through uh, the teaching on the body and what the body is and how it works together, he says this. He said, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Some translations say the greater gifts. What does that mean? Why is he talking about the greater
1: gifts? He's talking simply about the gifts the body of Christ. And then if you go with me down to t- over to chapter
0: 14 after he does the chapter on love, which is the more excellent way, the more most excellent way, he says in verse 1 of chapter 14, pursue love. And then he says it again, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially listen, especially that you may prophesy. And then he'll go on in chapter 14, and he'll speak about order in the church. But honestly, his main emphasis in chapter 14 is emphasizing the importance of prophecy and the order of prophecy in the body of Christ. Now, turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. And I want to go to the Sermon of Peter on the day of Pentecost in the very beginning of his sermon, at the very beginning of his sermon, interestingly, and this I'm going to show you the emphasis of this point. Chapter 14, Acts 2:14. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed all those and gathered in Jerusalem. And he said, "Men of Judea, and all who dwell in, Jude- in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose." since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken or uttered through the prophet Joel. And then he quotes from Joel. He says, And in the last days, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And all your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days i will pour out my spirit and then he says it again and they shall prophesy father before we begin to look at these texts we come again to you in dependency holy spirit lord you know how i've prayed about this and how i've asked you to give me clarity and wisdom to look at this subject today and not just that we would understand it lord but that it would Stir in us what we need to have stirred by you in this day. We are not complacent. We are not, Lord, simply idly standing by. But we are engaging in faith today. You. Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. So as I said a moment ago, this is probably in my mind the most misunderstood and probably the most wrongly exercised, the most abused of all of the charismata of the Holy Spirit. And it is this subject of prophecy. And I think that's the result of a couple of things, primarily, probably many things, but two prominent in my mind. The first is that immediately most people, when we think of prophecy, we associate it with the Old Testament prophets. And the second is that we simply misunderstand the role that it plays in the church today. And as Paul said to the Thessalonians, it's easy to despise it. It's easy to go, "Eh, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to hear anymore. Nothing seems to be really valid. Nothing seems to make an impact. It's, I don't, you know, nah. I don't really care. Or I don't really believe that it's from God. Those are probably the mentality. That's probably the mentality of some of us in the room. The fact that we associate it with the Old Testament is probably the dominant problem when we come to this whole thing of prophecy. It's very confusing. We think of crazed, radical men like Elijah, who called down fire from heaven and it was taken up in a whirlwind himself. Or we think about Ezekiel, who laid on his side for a whole year and prophesied. We think about Jeremiah, who was so obnoxious, he got thrown in a cistern and had to be rescued. He was going to die in that cistern as he prophesied the coming judgment by Babylon, which came to pass. Or who's Hosea, who married a prostitute, who then broke his heart. But he did it in obedience prophetically to the Lord. Or J the B, good old John the Baptist who ate grasshoppers and worked the skins of camels, and who had his head cut off by a crazed king. These were great men, fearless men, obedient men, persecuted and mocked men, but their calling was very unique, and it was a necessary calling because Of the rebellious and adulterous nation to whom they prophesied. Some of them also prophesied, as we studied through the the minor prophets, some of them prophesied to the nations surrounding Israel and Judea at Judah at the time. But all that they prophesied to were primarily adulterous, idolatrous nations. Is that what we are to think of when we hear Paul talk about prophecy in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? No. It's interesting how many people in our time have had their thinking and their understanding of prophecy shaped by these prophets of old and the way that they ministered. And so I've been around people through my trek in my Christian faith. I was saved in 1975 during the Jesus movement. I have been around men and women who equated themselves with prophets of old. The way that they lived, in some senses, the way they prophesied, and the way they acted. And it almost became a stigma where they expected to be persecuted because they were so strange. And so they got persecuted. And that fulfilled their expectation. That's not what God ever intended. That's not what New Testament prophecy is. In fact, I was thinking the other day, how many of these people who were folks that prophesy have died in the last few years. It's very interesting. I don't know what the reason is. I, can, I counted six that I personally knew or was exposed to that have died within the last two to three years. And I wondered, I asked the Lord, what, what is that, Lord? I don't believe it's judgment. I, some of them, I'm, I'm sure, were prophesying wrongly, and some have wrong motives. We all do things wrongly, and we all have wrong motives. That's not, God doesn't kill people. But I think that maybe God is separating things so that what is genuine is coming to the surface. Are you with me? Um, So I hope I'm not overstepping my boundary in saying that. Lord, you know my heart. I do think that there are a very few men and women who have a calling today that would deem them prophets or prophetesses. I think there may be some, but most people in the church would not have that calling or that experience, and yet in this chapter, Paul says, I want you to prophesy. So just because you have a sense of God's speaking to you, something to build, and I'll explain this much more in depth here in a moment, to the church doesn't make you a prophet. It's simply you being obedient to the grace of God being manifest through you to encourage and build up the church. Are you with me? And because he is talking now about the church at large, I think we can assume that this is something that should be very common. It should be very prevalent. Now, we have to understand what it looks like and how it works so that you don't get freaked out, thinking there's going to be all kinds of crazy things happening but it's very orderly and very powerfully encouraging when it's functioning correctly if this is so why is it needed and how does it function today let's go back to acts 2 if you would turn back there with me you might still be there in verse 17 it begins it says paul uh, peter quoting joel says uh, for the lord excuse me where am i Oh, here it is, verse 17. In the last days, I want you to underline that because you need to understand the last days began that day. That's when they began. They began when the Spirit of God was poured out upon a people in Jerusalem and the church was birthed. That began the last days. And then he says, I will pour out my Spirit. Now, underline this, on all flesh. Not every person in the world... But on all flesh, meaning all those who were called by his name, on all of us, I will pour out my spirit. It would not be a select few as it was in the Old Testament, but it would be all, all of the gathered, all of the church who would have the spirit of God poured out upon them. And if you are in Christ today, you've believed in Christ, your faith is in Christ, you are not only indwelt by the spirit of God, but you are empowered by the spirit of God through your faith in Christ. You just may not know it. You may not act like it. You may not live it out. And then he says, and your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, in verse 18, shall prophesy. So what we begin to see here is that this outpouring of the Spirit in Acts 2 was to anoint, if I could use that word, and to empower the church, listen, to live as a prophetic people. From that day until the day of his return. To live as a prophetic people. To live as a prophetic people doesn't mean that you just simply prophesy. It's the character of our lives. It's the way we live. It's it's the value system that we live by. It's It's the difference between us and everyone else who doesn't believe. Next week, we're going down south to a leader's gathering. And the theme of the week, of the two days of the leader's gathering, is the church as a prophetic people. And they've asked Kath and I to teach on marriage as a prophetic picture. A healthy marriage is a powerful prophetic statement because they're so rare. Well, we're going to define what that looks like a little bit as we speak to them healthy family, children who obey, a man who loves his wife, a wife who honors her husband, a people who who say no to sin as much as they are able by the grace of God, a people who, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, love, they love one another. By this you will know that you are my people, Jesus said, by your love. There are many things that are so distinguishing of the church that cause us to be prophetic in our day. And that's what Joel was waiting for, was looking for. That's what Peter says, okay, now it's time. This calling of being this prophetic people and this whole thing of prophecy is is really defined in Revelation 19.10. Turn to Revelation 19.10 with me, please. John is, sees this vision as he sees multiple visions in the book of Revelation and an angel comes to him and tells him to write in verse 9 regarding the marriage supper of the Lamb. What an amazing reality that John is being exposed to, and then the angel says, these are the true words of God, and then in verse 10 of Revelation 19, it says that John says, I fell down at the feet of the angel to worship him, but he said, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. He says, worship God, and then John adds this one statement, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is the calling. This is the heart. This is the mission of the church, to testify of the risen Christ to the nations of the earth. That is the spirit of prophecy. That's the calling of the church. That's why we are a prophetic people. We've been given a mission to testify every time we have the opportunity of the risen Christ, both through word and deed. In any way and in every opportunity that we have. And unlike the prophets of old, again, not to, we are not talking about Old Testament here. We're talking about new. And unlike the Old Testament prophets, though there will be a final judgment, ours is a message of life and hope in Christ. Theirs was only impending judgment. Judgment. Theirs was only the certainty of doom and of judgment because of their adulterous ways. Ours is there is hope and there is life in this risen Christ. That is the prophetic message of the church today. And Peter actually says this as he quotes Joel in Acts two nineteen through 21. He says, this day of the Lord that is coming, capital D day, the capital D, Day of the Lord, the day the Lord returns. He said it will be a great and magnificent day. And then he says this. Joel says this. Peter quotes him. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the Lord shall be saved. There's the hope. That's the prophetic calling of the church. We are a prophetic mantle. Of it's fallen upon us, a people given that incredible opportunity. And so now we're talking about this gift, the singular gift of prophecy. What is the purpose of it then? Well, this, I think, 1 Corinthians 12, in, in the context that I just put it, of this prophetic people, that it is the calling of the church over large at large, it helps us counter the arguments of the cessationists that say that it ended with the apostles. Paul says, No, earnestly desire this gift. Pursue love, but earnestly desire. That word desire is coveted or envy it, Especially that you would prophesy. And interesting in verse, in chapter 14, 1, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 14, 1 with me, I need to emphasize this. When he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, he says, pursue love and earnestly desire. And the translation, the words there are spiritual gifts in the English. It is the Greek word, Pneumatikas again. Pneumatikas. And remember how Matt defined that word. Produced by the sole power of God Himself without natural instrumentation. It is supernatural. So what we're talking about here now, when we talk about all of the spiritual gifts, we're talking about something that is not. It does not originate in us. It comes through us. It is administered through our psyche, through our emotions, through our voice, whatever it is, through our hands. But it originates in God. It is supernatural. It's something otherworldly. We're talking about the dynamic of the life of the Spirit of God. Paul says, earnestly desire, listen, spiritual manifestations of God's grace. See, brothers and sisters, listen, I have nothing to give you in and of myself. I think I'm a pretty smart guy. I can figure most things out. I can come up with answers to things. I have a lot of experience, but... In and of myself, I have nothing that can give you life. I have nothing that can of myself can give you strength to continue. That's God only who can do that. That's the grace of God alone that can do that. We're talking about what God alone will do and can do through us. So Paul then goes on to tell us that to prophesy, he says in chapter 12 excuse me, chapter uh, 14, is to build up people. It's to build them. Let's, let's look at this verse right here in, uh, let me see, I'm sorry, I lost my place here, thanks. Verse 4, the one who speaks in the tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless it can be interpreted. It is to to prophesy, he says, is to speak to people for their upbuilding, for their encouragement, and for their consolation. Three things. It is for their upbuilding, for their encouragement, and for their consolation. And I ask myself, Lord, how is it that the gift of prophecy builds people up? Well, when a prophetic word comes, and we'll talk about how they're given and how we receive and how we hear them in a moment, but when they come and it builds us up, we begin to understand it and we are are reminded that God is faithful, that God is with us, that the victory has been won. It focuses the eyes of the church on the Lord and off of us and off of our circumstances. When something comes to the church prophetically, it, it builds us up, and it causes us to no longer think about ourselves, but we put our eyes on God. It encourages us. It encourages the church in a world that can be so discouraging because his voice bears witness to what is true. How many of you right now are trying to figure out what is really true out there? Well, Everything I'm hearing, everything I'm reading, what, do I, what can I believe? God knows. God knows, and he will tell us. He will tell us. Often the Lord will speak about things that I've been thinking or praying about. He'll speak to me, or he'll speak to someone for me. To know the Lord... He knows my needs and my desires and then acknowledges that he hears and he sees and he understands what I am feeling and thinking is a great encouragement to me. And he comforts us. He comforts those who are weary of the battle and weary of the trek because we are engaged in a spiritual battle on a daily basis. And the Bible is full of God coming to his people at their time of greatest need and speaking truth to encourage them to continue in the faith. I don't have time. You guys know all of the examples of that. So many in both the old and in the new. God coming to his people and speaking just what they need at that moment to encourage them and to give them the strength to continue in the way. Paul even had to speak to Timothy to encourage him, to remind him of the prophetic words that were given to him in his life when maybe at a time when Timothy was discouraged as a young leader. 1 Timothy 1.18 and 19 says this, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Interesting. Holding faith and a good conscience. I want to remind you of the prophecies that were given to you when you first set out. So that by being encouraged and strengthened by them, you may engage and wage a good warfare continuing in the battle. <coughs> Excuse me. This This week, as I was thinking and praying about this, I did a lot of remembering I think, I think in my life, I, um, without exaggerating, I bet I have received personally 100 prophecies, maybe more, 200, I don't know. And for a long time I would keep them if they were written down and I had stacks of them. And I would have to tell you that of all of the prophecies that I received, I think I can remember two that really have strengthened me and my walk and continued. One of them came when Kath and I were sent out from the church in Southern California that sent us up here to plant our first church in 19, the end of 1980. That's how old we are. That's how old I am. She's not that old. And the eldership of that church, and I'll be honest, it was interesting. It was a Calvary Chapel. Calvary Chapel doesn't do stuff like this. God bless them, I love them, but they just don't. These guys, the eldership of that t- t- the pastoral staff laid hands on us and sent us out, and one of them had a word for us about when we were leaving, what God was going to do. And it was pretty specific. And through the years, as we have engaged and battled and worked and tried to be faithful and lived that word has come back. In fact, Kath reminded me of it again not long ago. That word has come back to us again and again and again to continue in the battle. And I really believe it was God. And I've had a couple of others maybe that would similarly have strengthened me in that way. Not to say the others weren't valid words, the many other hundreds, but they didn't have the same impact. We had some men of God lay hands on us one night. Many, some, maybe some of you were there in our church building down on Bradshaw many many years ago. And they spoke numerous words over us that night. And they're very affirming and they're very strengthening and encouraging. But often what you end up doing is just wait and you just file it. And you wait to see if, in fact, God is going to confirm it and then fulfill it. And oftentimes, neither of those things happen. So you go, yeah, I guess it was somebody being nice, but it didn't really have much impact on my life. But some have. It encourages us to continue in the way. No wonder Paul says that he hopes that all would have this grace to prophesy. And then he tells us in, in chapter 14, verse 24, that a fruit of this grace in the church gathered, when we're all gathered, he says, let's read it. 1 Corinthians 14, 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called called account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. When the presence of God is in the church, when there is such faith and there is, there is this, this strengthening by the grace of God, these prophetic words that are coming, then they're speaking truth to the church and building up the church and encouraging the church, even an outsider will hear that and say, surely God is in your midst and fall on their face and worship God. That's the impact it can have even to one who doesn't believe because it confirms that God is who he says he is, that he exists. Sam Storms, in his book on spiritual gifts, says this, and I think this is an excellent statement, defining prophecy, New Testament prophecy. We're now able to define prophecy more specifically as the speaking forth in merely human words, listen, something the Holy Spirit has sovereignly and often spontaneously revealed to a believer. Prophecy, therefore, is not based on a hunch, a supposition, last night's pizza, an inference, an educated guess, or even on sanctified wisdom. Prophecy is not based on personal insight or your emotion for the, someone or towards someone intuition, or illumination. Prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. This is what distinguished prophecy from teaching. Teaching is always based on the text of a scripture. Prophecy is always based on a spontaneous revelation. So what I'm doing right now is I am teaching, and my teaching may have prophetic elements to it, simply because it's, calling us to more and encouraging and strengthening, but it is not prophecy. Prophecy is spontaneous revelation given in a moment through human agency to be spoken to the church or to an individual to build build them up, to encourage them and to strengthen them in their way, in the walk. And I want you to just keep in your mind the importance of this word revelation. I talked about it when I talked a couple of weeks ago on word of knowledge and word of wisdom. And the word revelation, and Paul uses that word in 1 Corinthians 14. He speaks of some will have a revelation because when you're dealing with prophecy and words of knowledge and words of wisdom, that's what they are. They are revelation, apocalypsis is that Greek word. It's the unveiling of something that cannot be known except God revealing it. It's a wonderfully, incredibly beautiful, mysterious thing. Brothers and sisters, desire revelation. Earnestly desire it. You might say, I've never had any. I, can't, I, don't, I don't get any. Yes, you can. God speaks. How many of you believe God still speaks? Yeah. How many of you believe that he speaks in accordance with his word, but beyond what the word itself has told us? Yes. Never contradicting it but giving understanding of things that aren't in the word. Spontaneous revelation. And the very fact that prophecy should be so prevalent and and understanding the purpose that it serves to build up the church The way that it does helps us understand that the New Testament gift of prophecy isn't, listen now carefully, isn't infallible. As was the Old Testament's role and ministry of the prophet. New Testament prophecy is not infallible. Countless numbers of believers, all could, countless numbers are now used by God to prophesy but they do not speak the very words of God that formed the canon of Scripture. It is the human report of divine revelation. So it's coming through an imperfect vessel mixed with human emotion, yes, and human thoughts. It is the manifestation of grace through the believer. But it is not infallible. And so it must be evaluated, Paul said, and tested. Because it could be a little bit, you know, off. It could be a little bit not accurate, not weighty. Good intention. Somebody thinks they'm hearing from God. They speak something to encourage. But it's like, no, that wasn't really God. God. I've only had to say that a couple of times in all the years of ministry. That was only because the correction needed to come because what that was said was so off. Typically, what we want is to have you bring a word to the elders. We can weigh it right then, and then and if it, we believe it'll encourage, we ask you to share it rather than just speaking it out from the middle of the congregation. Some who are more mature and proven, we would ask and allow to do that. But usually we say, bring it to us. Give it to us. Let us weigh it. Let us find the timing when it will fit, if it's even from the Lord for us today. Sometimes it isn't. It's from the Lord, but not for today. There's a lot of, ish, lot of a- aspects to this, of weighing it and understanding it. But I want you just to get this, that it is not infallible when it comes today as a New Testament prophecy. Because people have said this, they've argued this, well, if there are prophets today and they prophesy wrong, they should be stoned. Because that's what they do to false prophets in the Old Testament. No, it's not, the same. it's not the same function. It's not the same gifting. Completely different. Different purpose, different calling, different reason that it's given. Does that make sense? So the cessationists' arguments that someone who prophesies falsely or inaccurately should be stoned is not valid. And this also then, listen carefully, changes the definition of a false prophet. Just because someone prophesies inaccurately or immaturely or out of season doesn't make them a false prophet. The New Testament false prophet Jesus spoke of, John speaks of in his epistle, is someone who leads the people of God into deception and doctrinal error. And there have been some who have prophesied in the name of Jesus in the recent history of our own existence in in modern America who, who were false prophets because they prophesied what they said was in the name of God, but they were leading people into doctrinal error and into deception. God knows, he knows who they are, and he knows their hearts. If we sense that, we would warn, but sometimes only God knows. But that is a false prophet. Someone who prophesies something that isn't accurate doesn't make them a false prophet. In the Old Testament, all it took was one time. Thank God for the New Testament grace, amen? (laughs) So, brothers and sisters, there's no understating, and I'm just touching the surface of this. I literally could have taught for two more Sundays on this. There is no understating the importance of this gift today in the church. That's why we have to embrace it. We have to understand it, value it, not despise it, not be skeptical, and actually embrace it today because of the importance that it has for us today in our calling, 21st century America. doesn't matter where we are on the earth. It is necessary. As I asked earlier, how many of us are asking ourselves what is really true today in the world we're living in? How do I know what to believe? The Holy Spirit knows. He is in control of human history. He will lead us and prepare us. This is part of the role of prophetic gifting today is to tell us, to help us make our way through this craziness. And it may not be in a word on a Sunday, but it may be in your own prayer life. It may be through your own time corresponding, communicating with someone else in the church. You know, what is is God saying to you? And then we, we hear one another and we go, yeah, I'm sensing the same thing. That's prophetic. It's God helping us make our way, discerning, Knowing what is true. Don't stick your head in the sand and say it can't be known. It must be known. You have to know what God is saying today. You have to hear. We have to hear what God is saying today. He will warn us of coming danger. This all fits under the upbuilding and encouragement and strengthening, those three things. He will warn us of coming danger. What does the church need to know to prepare for the future? In Acts 11, a prophet named Agabus came to the apostles and said, there is a great famine coming. You know what they did? Immediately they began preparing for it. Immediately. Because they knew that there were going to be saints suffering from the famine, so they began preparing to help the saints that would be in need by a prophetic word. Interesting. It It will help bring peace. During times of confusion and chaos, it will bring clarity and sanity in the midst of chaos and the world in which we're living because the Lord, will, the Lord will speak to us. Say that with me. The Lord will speak to us. He will help us. He will warn us. He will lead us. He will guide us as we make our way. You may want out of California But you're not leaving until God lets you leave. And if you do before he lets you, woe unto you. Because if you move to Florida, DeSantis could get voted out. God knows. Amen? You're here. God will keep us. God will lead us. God will speak to us. God will provide for us. He will help us. What to do with words when they are given like this takes wisdom. Kath and I were young believers in Santa Barbara. Must have been 1977, 76, 77. Young Christians. A prophetic word came one day in a church in Santa Barbara that there was going to be a huge earthquake in Santa Barbara. Huge. And that word spread through the whole city, through the church in the whole city of Santa Barbara. And we went into one of our friends' place of business, and he said, what are you guys doing? Are you leaving? Because there was a specific time when it was going to happen, a date, a weekend. And we said, no, we're not going anywhere. We prayed, and we felt like, I I mean, we felt like the Lord said, if there is an earthquake, you're going to be needed here. I was a fireman anyway. I'm not going to run, you know, when there's an earthquake. I'm going to be here to help people. No, we're not leaving. And a bunch of people cleared out. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. But I I learned a lesson there. You know, it was like, it takes wisdom. What are you going to do when something is said? It has to be weighed. You have to pray about it. And, And even in Paul's case... Later on in the book of Acts, the same prophet, Agabus, comes to him, and he says, as he's on his way, he's in Caesarea, and and he says to him, if you leave this and you want to go to Jerusalem when you get there, he says, give me your belt. He binds himself with the belt, and he says, this is what's going to happen to you if you go to Jerusalem. And so all of the other disciples around Paul said, oh, you can't go. You can't go. You better not go. Look, he told the prophet, we trust this prophet. It's Agabus. We trust him. Paul said, no. I have to go. Was Paul disobedient to God? No, Agabus didn't tell him not to go. He simply said, this is what's going to happen if you go. So Paul knew what to expect, but he still went. Why did Paul go? Because God had already spoken to him previously about going. So he knew he needed to be there because he wanted to go to Rome. But he knew that when he got to Jerusalem and then he ended up in Rome, he would be bound. And he was. And he was actually martyred. But he still was able to discern. So prophetic words, though they come to us, we weigh them, we test them, we evaluate them, we use wisdom to process them, and then we act upon them. These types of foretelling words, though, are very, very rare. They are the exception, not the rule. Because really, only those with proven gifting will have my ear, will have our ear. I don't trust everything I hear from someone who says God is speaking to them. I weigh it. I know some that I would listen to carefully, and I know others that I would say, no, thank you. In our church, we have some that are maturing, and I would hear and I would listen to very carefully. And I think there's a difference as we grow in this. So I want to ask you today to pray and to ask God to speak to you for this church, for the church at large in our day. Ask for divine revelation. Lord, give me revelation as to what it is that you are doing, what you want to say to the church to encourage and strengthen the church. Sometimes during worship, one word will drop into my heart and I'll stand up in front of the church and I'll just begin to speak out of what I'm sensing God is saying with that one word. And as I begin to speak, I get more and more will come. Sometimes something's dropped into my heart as we're worshiping and I'm saying, Lord, am I to share this with the church? And I sense the Lord says, no, this is for you. Or am I standing there? am I worshiping and I'm saying, "Lord, I feel like I'm, you want me to say something, but I'm not able to really come to clarity. I won't say anything. Because trust me, I've tried and it doesn't work. <laughs> you learn how to do these things. Listen, you don't practice receiving revelation. You practice stepping out in faith. Revelation is given. But you pray for that. You ask for that. You begin to learn how to discern when God is speaking to you and wanting you to do something. But then to to step out in faith takes practice. And I believe that is the word of the day today. It is faith. All of these gifts that we've been looking at the last few weeks and that we'll continue to look at, they take faith to be exercised. Man, yesterday the men were gathering to pray. And we had a really, really great time of prayer. And at the very end of the prayer time, one of the young guys began to make strong declaration. He was shouting as we were gathered to pray on this bluff. He began to shout and declare the greatness of God and the the calling of the church and our calling to the city. And he didn't stop when we thought he might you know what I mean? And it's like, when you go beyond that one point where you think you should stop, but you don't out of self-consciousness, you keep going, that's when the power often will come. And he kept going. And, and the longer that he went, the more faith rose up among all of us. It, I mean, I have goosebumps right now. It was powerful. And then afterwards, I'm standing right next to him, and he goes, I'm sorry. I said, don't say you're sorry. He's so humble. He's so humble. He's so, his spirit is so wonderful. He didn't want to you know, have drawn attention to himself or have been out of place. I said, no, dude. Do this, man. Brothers and sisters, step out in faith. And you know what? If you're wrong, big deal. We're not going to stone you. We're not going to despise you. We're not going to make fun of you. We're not going to mock you. We're going to try to encourage you to grow in it. Maybe have you wait till next time. Bring it to us or whatever it may be as an elder. But please hear my heart. This stuff takes faith. It takes faith. God is not going to open your mouth. You have to open it. You have to say, yes, Lord. And I think we need to provide environments of faith. And we've talked about this as leaders. We want to provide greater environments where there is faith in the room. Because when there is faith, then it gives you the opportunity to step out in faith much easier. You're not working against the flow of unbelief, which is very prevalent oftentimes in gatherings of Christians. Rooms are filled with unbelief. Trust me. And you can sense it and you can feel it. So often when there is faith in the room, it opens the heavens for us to both hear from God and to have faith to step out. Is this too ethereal? Are you with me? That's what we're praying for. Brothers and sisters, do not despise prophecy. If you've already fallen into that place in your heart, please repent and revisit it now again. If you today in this room do not believe in the ongoing gifts of the Spirit today, we would love to dialogue with you about it and talk to you about this and have some apologetic discussion. I have great friends that are strongly anti these gifts. I respect them greatly, but we differ because we do believe that you can be strongly word-based, strongly Christ-centered in your message, strongly gospel-oriented, and still have the power of God present in your meetings. That's what we hope for and we long for. Amen? Amen. Please stand with me.
1: Okay. Just because I think that as we, as we continue in faith to pursue these things, uh, we talked about um, a spectrum, right? And, and Rick was talking about the one end of the spectrum, the cessationist. The other end of the spectrum is the hypercharismatic. And as we begin to move from one towards the other, if you will, the, the destination is not hypercharismania. <laughs> but it's just to say as we, as, as we look for more of a radical middle on this Um, I just thought I had a couple of questions that might be clarifying. Maybe they're helpful as we uh, are sitting here hearing what you're saying. The first is, and I think you addressed, would you tell us again, just succinctly, the difference between a word of wisdom and prophecy in your mind as you've been teaching?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. It's a difficult question to answer because they're very similar in that they are both revelation. But I would say that the difference would be that the word of wisdom is much more focused and directed usually to, uh, to an individual. Um, in the case of the book of Acts, for example, Paul uses it to speak to people in specific circumstances and situations. Peter used it when he was in, uh, in, Acts, in Acts 3 at the gate, beautiful, and he sees the man, he says, he looks at him and he focuses. It says, fixed his gaze. So I think word of wisdom is more specifically focused on individual on an individual, Whereas pro- prophecy is much broader in its impact, which is why it is a greater gift. It has a greater impact. Mm,
1: yeah, that's helpful. And then just to follow up with that, um, and many of us probably have experienced this in one way or another, is do you, how, how would you um, categorize, if it's okay to use that, that term, someone comes to you and says, I have a word from the Lord for you, mm. or the Lord told me to tell you this, yeah. Um, I think many of us have probably experienced that just in terms of how we process that. Where would you, would you see that as prophecy? Would you see that as a word of wisdom? Sound, you kind of answered it, but that, that whole thing of like, the, word, the Lord gave me a word for you.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it would be, probably would be more of the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, end of things. I'm very uh, cautious about people coming and saying, I have a word for you. Mm-hmm the Lord told me this, mm-hmm. I'm, I would say, I, I, I would not, in my mind, I'm thinking, uh, how do you know that, and, and, you know, who are you, you know, mm-hmm. so it depends on who says it, and the word normally would not be prophetic unless it was foretelling my future, trying to say to me something along the lines of, hey, I see something for you coming up, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da, but word of knowledge, word of wisdom would be more now. You know, God is showing me this for you right now. Mm-hmm. God is saying this to me for you right now. I believe the Lord wants you to know this. And that would be a word of knowledge, okay, or a word of wisdom. But if the Lord is saying through someone, the Lord is wanting me to tell you that this is what he's saying and this is what's going to happen and this is what has been happening so that you have clarity, I would take that as more prophetic. Mm-hmm. But they're close because they're just revelation. Yeah. And they're coming through us and okay. we're giving them out as we speak them. And so, but be cautious of thus saith the Lord. Mm-hmm. Don't ever use that. You know, when, when, we, when we give what we feel are prophetic words as leaders, we always couch them, and I do anyway, and I feel the Lord is telling me, or I sense God saying to me, or I believe the Lord wants us to know, that kind of thing. Because it's not, it's not infallible. You know, it could be off. And so I'm, I'm stepping out in faith, we're stepping out in faith, but we're not 100% certain because it's, it's revelation coming through us. Um, as opposed to when they wrote the scripture, it was divinely inspired and it's been proven to have been. Uh, what we have is, is, is revelation that's spontaneous, that is uh, simply coming through a human agency for that moment.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's, it's not easy to discern it all. To, to distinguish it all, I mean, because they are very close.
1: Yeah, and I don't know that it's always necessary for us to go. No. Is this, but I think as we're talking about yeah. it, as we're teaching this to help give clarity to our own understanding, I think yeah. it's helpful to process through this. Um, and there was one last question that uh, you had said that um, the prophecies are, are I, felt, I can't remember your exact verbiage, but basically that... Um, that it's, it's revelation that is not held within Scripture, right. but it's in accordance with Scripture, yes, right? So yes. I think that's a really just important distinction to make again, because I don't think you were misheard. But, um, but again, would you just clarify that, that how we might hear something that, when you say it's not in here, can you clarify what that might look like? Because ultimately, this is our plumb line, right? Scripture has to confirm or deny Uh, and if it is contrary to. So uh, is that clear? Could you just confirm or clarify, if you will?
0: Well, if it cuts across Scripture doctrinally, we know that it's wrong. Mm -hmm. It's easy. But if it's something that Scripture doesn't give us any uh, understanding about, there's nothing in the Scripture about cars or countless other things in our life. Right? So Scripture does not contain all truth, but it is all true. So we have in our own life experienced so many other things in our lives that God will speak to us about that may not be in Scripture, but whatever it is spoken can't contradict the heart of Scripture and the truth of Scripture or violate the essence of doctrinal truth mm-hmm. in Scripture.
1: Because something that, that and we've even run across it before is like, well, the Lord's telling me to move here. Yeah, Someone will come to us and say, I yeah. feel like the Lord is telling me no. to do this. Yeah. And so, in, in, you know, just kind of to flip that, it would be what we're talking, what I'm asking you here. Yeah. Because that's not in direct violation of Scripture. No. But yet, there's a sense of like, well, that, that's not right.
0: Well, it's only not right because it needs to be confirmed by other people. Mm-hmm. So, if God tells me something that is huge for my life, that's going to change my life, mm-hmm. I want to make certain that I'm hearing mm-hmm. from the Lord accurately. So rather than deciding and acting upon it simply because I feel I'm hearing something, I'll come to you and you and you and you and I'll say I'm sensing God is telling me this. Would you pray with me about this and help me confirm that this is God? Yeah. And he may say to me, No, I don't think that's the Lord. Yeah. You know, people might say that. And okay, well, I'm going to wait then. Yeah. So yeah, it takes it takes discipline, wisdom, accountability, community. Yeah. Community is hugely important regarding prophetic words. Yeah. That's yeah. good.
1: That's it. I think we'll try to do this more. I think I've mentioned that. We'll find a way to maybe give some more dedicated time to allow you guys to ask questions as well. But would you just pray for us and close our time together?
0: Father, we pray that we would have increasingly an atmosphere of faith in this building. Faith-filled people would come in, that we would be led led into times of great faith by the Holy Spirit through musicians, through um, leaders, through uh, the saints as they minister to one another. Father, we, we, we are hungry, we are hungry for that which is genuine, for that which is real in our day. This, this nation, Lord, this state needs revival. Yes, Lord, Lord we, are, we are on the edge of, of huge changes of, of life in the t- day in which we're living, and the church, Lord, is going to be the, the rudder that, Lord, brings stability to the countless lives of, of many, many, many people, Lord. We must hear, we must know, we must see. We must be able to understand what it is that is happening today. So we ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus, to give us wisdom. We ask, Lord, that you would pour out your Spirit upon us again in a greater measure. We pray for these, these, Lord, administrations of the Spirit, for these manifestations of grace to increase among us. And, Lord, we pray that we would mature in them through holiness of life, lord and through through discipline lord and through uh, through growing in faith so father we ask you for this tonight today in jesus name and we're grateful lord bless us. Let there be healings in our midst. Let there be, Father, words of wisdom and words of knowledge that will build the church, Lord, prophetic gifts, O God. Lord, let there be increasingly these things as we gather together, as we have coffee with one another, as we meet in homes through the week. May we increase in, in all of these manifestations of faith and of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.